This is Make Yourself at Home, a podcast from BizNow where we look at how real estate has been reshaped in the months since the pandemic started. I'm Miriam Hall. I'm BizNow's New York reporter. Today, we're focusing on commercial property sales in the city and speaking with the head of Avis and Young's Tri-State Investment Sales Group, James Nelson. Sales have plummeted in Manhattan and the city is on track to do 50% less in sales volume than it did last year. There is activity though, James says, but when the pandemic hit, he and his team had to do some serious legwork on renegotiations. We've closed six transactions, uh, actually seven now, since March. And some of those uh, sales were in contract before COVID hit. And in pretty much all those cases, we had to reduce the price, uh, sometimes give more time for the buyers to close. But I'm happy to say that we did not lose one transaction. But we've also brought properties to market since March and uh, not only brought them to mar- market, but even closed on them since. So the good news, and I you know, made that earlier comparison with 2009, is that, yes, there, there was a huge drop. There has been a huge drop in sales volume, but there's a lot of money on the sidelines. And if you kind of think back to 2009 and with the banking crisis and there, there was not money available to do deals and here, there, there's plenty of money waiting to, to jump in when when the price uh, pricing's at an acceptable level. So walk me through. Let's focus for a moment on the on the things that were in contract when this crisis kind of happened. It basically happened over the course of a weekend. What sorts of assets were there that you had contracts out, out on them, and what did you have to do to make sure that they didn't completely fall apart? We had a boutique office building that was in contract. The buyer basically came to us and said that the lender was not going to you know, provide the same type of leverage. He asked for a 15% decrease in the price, and we gave him a 7% decrease. And that was in, in the spring, just as the world had been turned on its head. So we, we thought that was a, a great result for our client. But the buyer, also long-term investor and had use for the property, and so... I think that that's also a piece of advice for those looking now. I, th- I think if you're going to be buying properties in New York right now, you have to have a long-term view. So it was a boutique office building. Whereabouts was it? It was in Tribeca. I, I can't um, I can't give the the addresses. Safe to say, the deals that we had in contract, whether multifamily retail development, the largest discounts that we extended from pre-COVID were 15 percent. Now, when someone has hard money up and there's a 10 percent deposit. The buyer is weighing that decision. Would I rather walk from the deposit and take that loss or go ahead with the, with the project? But look, I mean, there's, there's other situations and, you know, you want to get specific. We were handling an estate sale at 171 to 73 McDougal Street, big vacant restaurant space on, you know, in the heart of Greenwich Village, which, you know, before this all hit would have been a great opportunity. I mean, here you're in NYU's backyard. Uh, there's, uh, Plenty of examples of, of bars and restaurants that do really well down there. And there were 72 apartments, but they had let half of them go vacant. So we were asking in the mid-30s before COVID, and we had activity in the low 30s. And post-COVID, all of that interest basically just scattered. And I think the challenge there, again, with the vacant restaurant, how long is it going to take to fill it back up? How long is it going to take to fill these apartments? And ultimately, you know, at first, some of the buyers came and said, oh, I won't even give you $15 million for that. And so after a couple of months, we put some more offers on the table. We did find a buyer 
who's willing to contract close, Sean Lefkowitz and his partner, David Lloyd, showed up to the closing table with 22 and a quarter million dollars. And I've got to give them credit. You know, they said, look, we're ready to close now. We'll show up with a check and get it done. And I think from the estate standpoint, they said, look, we don't know how long this is going to last. None of us do. But they were faced with a building with a lot of vacancy. You know, they're carrying it. They're paying taxes. There was a lot of work that needed to be done on the building. And so, you know, for them, it was a, a relief. And look, time will tell. Maybe that $22 million, maybe that was the price. I mean, may, maybe the pendulum swings back. But, you know, clearly that was a, a very significant discount, mostly because, again, retail-driven uh, situation. But there is money out there, to my earlier point, to, to close transactions in this market. $10 million cut, that must feel brutal, though. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... Um, it, it, it's it's an unfortunate situation. This was kind of on the heels of the rent reform that took place last year. And, you know, it, it was a, a really tough situation. But estates and, and if you look back to 2009, the sellers in the market that year were the must sells. They were the estates. They were the partnership disputes and then ultimately the banks. And um, our clients today who are are selling and the good news is even though the, the sales volume and you, you uh, alluded to some of the numbers be, before where, you know, our, our sales volume off first quarter to second quarter, Manhattan alone was off 70%, right? So if you if you annualize what's going on this year, the number of sales will be off 50%. So that's a pretty significant drop from last year, but, but not entirely um, surprising. But the good news is, and yes, as the broker, you always have to believe the glass is half full. Otherwise, I believe you're in the wrong profession. So we have picked up 20 new listings in the last two months. Our team typically brings on five to six new listings per month. So what that means is there's now this kind of pent up, you know, supply, there's demand and owners are feeling a little more comfortable about transacting. And what's interesting is out of these 20 new listings, half of those owners, uh, our clients have owned the properties for more than 20 years. And this is a phenomenon I did not see back in the last correction where long term owners were saying, you know what? I've seen enough. I'm I'm out of here. But I, I, I think we all can agree that this is not going to fix itself overnight. This is going to take some time. And a lot of our clients are saying, you know what, I don't have another cycle in me and I'd rather sell while I still can. And what's interesting, and I wrote a white paper on this uh, called The Calm Before the Storm. There's not a lot of although there's not a lot of sales taking place, there's also not a lot of listing inventory. Half the listing inventory came off the market post-COVID because a lot of owners said, look, I'm not going to sell into this. So if you have product in the market right now, there's not a lot of competition. And there's a lot of money who's still sitting there looking to do something with it. And so we're actually getting bidding wars still on some of the assignments. Now, they have to be priced right. But the point is that they would rather sell now than maybe wait till next year when I think there's going to be a wave of distress. And if you're an owner trying to sell your property, you don't want to be competing with a bank who's trying to, you know, unload it for whatever they can get in 30 days next door. We'll talk about those listings in a moment because I do want to get a real sense of, of how people are positioning things. But let's just focus for a moment on that McDougal Street example. So buyers came in and they closed and they, and they got what appears to be a deal, a $10 million discount on the ask. What was their interest in the property, do you know? Like, what are they thinking for it? Why, did, why were they still attracted 
to spend money. I, I think the buyers are looking at this opportunity in some cases a once in a lifetime. I mean, I certainly haven't seen prices and opportunities like this in the 20 years that I've been doing this. And I think everyone kind of looked back in 2010 and 2011 and said, oh, wow, you know, if I only bought in 2009, there was incredible opportunities, but you know, I didn't want to be the first one to jump back in. And so I, I think they realized, you know, look, here's a building in the heart of Greenwich Village at under $600 a foot. I mean, talk about a $10 million discount. You know, two, three years ago, this property was probably worth double that, right? And so there's not many times that a building on McDougal Street comes up, you know, right off Bleecker Street, right? And the tenants are going to be back, right? So it's just a matter of time, and, and we'll probably – maybe we'll get to this later in our, our discussion. But uh, you know, right now, the young professionals are living at home with their parents because if they don't have to be in the office reporting to work, why keep paying rent, especially when nothing's open, right? So they're out. But if you're investing in New York, you have to be thinking about things in a post-vaccine world. Things get back to semi-normal, and those apartments will fill up, right? It used to be when we'd sell these buildings, it would be challenging for us to even show one vacant apartment because the apartments would get rented the next day. Um, and so we're always trying to say, you know, can we take a look at maybe one or two occupied units, right? And now for a building like this with this kind of vacancy, but you have to be thinking about the long term and you have to build in, you know, that, that, that restaurant space. You know, they figured, hey, maybe it's going to take us two or three years to get a tenant. And the numbers reflect that. They were lucky in that they just signed a new restaurant tenant. So that that's interesting. Um, that they could find a restaurateur willing to commit uh, during this time. But I bet that restaurateur is, is also planning for the future, thinking, well, I'm going to have to do work, and it's going to take me six months to a year to get open up, and I want to be ready once, you know, NYU is back fully, and I mean, they're back in session, but once everything else is open. And so um, these investors are really looking to the future. So for those properties that you had contracts out on pre-COVID and then had to be renegotiated, you said the biggest discount you saw was a 15% discount from what was originally negotiated and then renegotiated. How are the sellers taking this? I mean, it must be a really tough conversation for you to be having. Well, it depends what the seller is looking to do. Uh, if they are just looking to cash out, they might say, look, cash is king right now and I'd rather be liquid. Uh, for those looking to exchange and do a 1031, look, if you have to sell at a discount, you're going to buy at a discount. And there's many who think that if Biden's in office next year, that the 1031 is going to go away. If the 1031 goes away, that's going to be a real issue. So we have a lot of clients who are saying, look, let's get this closed. I want to buy. Let's transact before the end of the year. So I think the fourth quarter is going to certainly get a boost. Tell me a little about, bit about the listings that you now have. What kind of assets are they? It's a real mix. We've had, again, we handle the major food groups. So, you know, on the office side, we're handling 8-12 uh, West 14th Street. It's a 130,000 square foot block through office building. And uh, the city of New York is the tenant there for the next two and a half years. And so, you know, in that instance, and, and again, that's a longer term uh, owner there. And, and they're saying, well, you know, look, we'd rather leave this to the next buyer or um, we'd also do a long term lease there. Uh, where, you know, let them handle those those discussions with the city and see if they renew or, or maybe they have uh, ideas of how to reposition that property. What's the ask on that one? We don't have an ask on it, but uh, I think 
you know, the, the, the target on this is that we could certainly see this going into the, the nine figures. Uh, so on the multifamily front, we have two elevated buildings on the Upper West Side. These were former youth hostels with 220 units, 20 long-term tenants there, but 200 units are vacant right now. In the uh, one building? They're two separate buildings, total of 220 units. Uh, rooms, uh, to be specific. And, you know, th this was even before COVID hit, uh, the city um, was getting a little stricter about uh, transient use, meaning um, where you could have overnight guests. And so the city said, look, we don't want to see, you know, a youth hostel here anymore. We want to see uh, long-term stays. So, you know, this property could be, you know, someone could reposition it as a truly a class A apartment building. It even has some air rights. So there, there's a lot of potential there. I mean, we think it would make for incredible student housing. Uh, it's only, you know, it's within 20 blocks of Columbia. So, I mean, th these are great assets that might not have been available in, in the past. And now, you know, for a variety of reasons, they're, they're now uh, coming to fruition. The other thing is we, we have a couple assets that have essential retail, uh, essential services, and that's been in demand right now. It's funny, I, I, we've got my, my bi-monthly uh, breakfast, and now, of course, it's virtual, but with, with my associates on, uh, you know, the market and what we're doing, and we went through a whole, you know, uh, you know class on cash on cash return. And when we used to sell buildings, no one even were talking about what kind of cash flow would you get. It would just be, all right, what am I paying per square foot? What's my IRR? What am I going to sell this? Because People who bought properties in New York didn't make money until they sold it five years down the line. Now it's, okay, well, I can get a real return. If I can buy a property north of a 5% return, but I can borrow money around 3% in multifamily, some of those loans now 10 years are sub 3%. I mean, you're talking about a high single-digit return, even up to 10% cash-on-cash return. I mean, th this is a moment that we have not seen in quite some time, even looking back into the last height, 06, 07 of the market, I mean, their office cap rates were four and a half, but the 10-year treasury was at 5%. Now the 10-year treasury is under a percent. There's a huge spread right now between where you can borrow money and the cap rates. And that's what I think makes it a really interesting proposition right now. With the properties that you do have, what kind of interest are you seeing with them? Be honest. <laughs> Look, we're seeing bidding wars in, in, in certain – the properties have to be priced right. And I, I've got to stress, we are not – we're passing on as many listings as we are taking on. If we do not feel the owner understands what the realities are in the market, um, it, it's just – you know, there's only so many hours in the day. We want to be you know, known as the most active transactional shop where if you're looking to buy or sell, you come to Avis & Young because we have product and, and we're moving it. And so it has to be priced right. And um, we tell our clients, look, it's, ready, it's better to price it right on the nose, or, you know, right where you want to be. And, and, and if so, you'll get that activity and there's still buyers out there. But if you overprice it, it'll just sit. So you you're telling sellers no, it's, this is a delusional. Well, I mean, we're telling sellers in some cases to wait. I mean, if you're looking to sell right now, you probably have a good reason to do it, right? And so if you're a discretionary seller, because it used to be back, you know, in 2015, hey, if you can get me 50 million for my property, I'll sell it, even though maybe it was only worth 30 or 40. You know, to, 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 today, there's no room for that, right? Someone has to have a reason where, you know, look, 
I've owned this property for over 20 years. My partners are used to getting their regular quarterly distributions, and now my retail is not paying. And I'm, you know, I've got 20% vacancy upstairs. And now for the first time in decades, I actually have a capital call because we have to service, you know, we have to pay our taxes. Uh, and, and so it's a, a very different reason now. I think when people sell, they say, look, and, and let's face it also, um, a lot of our clients are selling, they're leaving New York and they're going to tax-free states. There's a ton of exchange money going to Florida and Texas and Nashville and, uh, so the, there's definitely some of that as well. That's a pretty, um, I mean, I think people would hear that and be alarmed by that idea. As far as a, a sell-off here in, in New York? Well, people leaving. I mean, people not seeing this as a business-friendly state. Yeah, I mean, look, there's definitely challenges. Um, the property taxes have reached a level where, you know, we're talking 30% of, you know, the gross income. And, and if the retail now is reset, I mean, you might be paying half your property's income now in taxes. I mean, it's really, really challenging. But um, I still think that, uh, you know, if you look at where people want to live and the fact that uh, Facebook still took 700,000 feet at the Farley Post Office, I mean, that was a deal they were negotiating before COVID and they stuck with it. And I think they've got to believe that, hey, this is where the talent is and young professionals are not going to want to live in the suburbs. They're going to want to come back as soon as it's safe and the businesses are open. And this is where the talent is. And that's why Apple's been expanding here. That's why Google, you know, their appetite has been voracious. They're still, you know, they're now going ahead with their plans down at St. John's uh, Terminal Building and Pier 57. And this is where the talent is, and I, I think that's that's going to be hard to replicate elsewhere. I just cannot have a conversation with a single person in the last four months without bringing up Facebook. Everyone's like, it's okay, Facebook wants to be here. It's okay. <laughs> Facebook went ahead with the Farley deal. Facebook got a huge discount on reportedly on that deal, though. That's not what I heard. I, I, I heard that their discount was under uh, 10% uh, on the face rent. Yeah. And I also heard that um, they did get more concessions. But look, if they couldn't get in there to renovate the space and it's going to take more time, I mean, that's the reality. But, you know, the data is not there yet to, you know, say that it's the, the office market is cratering. I mean, everyone wants to talk about the spike in sublet space. The data is not there. So right now we've added five, six million square feet of, Manhattan has added five, six million square feet of sublet space. I mean, that's a scary number, but not when, you know, that's your numerator. When you take the fact that Manhattan is a 450 million square foot office market, you know, it's only a little over 1% of space added. The vacancy rate for the first to second quarter went from 10 to 10.9%. Sublet space is about a quarter of that. Is that sublet space gonna ratchet up? Absolutely. You know, is it going to quadruple? You know, I don't know. I think I'd have a hard time seeing the vacancy rate in New York go to 50, close to 20 percent. There's just again, I think the companies are hedging. They know that once it's safe, you know, to come back and people are here, uh, they're, they're not dumping their space right now. It's not it's not in the in the data. So. That's what I like to focus on. Well, the interesting thing is, is that everyone I speak to, no one can kind of arrive at a consensus on valuations. But one thing I did hear the other day from another broker was that it will take five to seven years for prices to return to pre-pandemic. What do you think about that? Does that sound about right to you? You never want to paint 
a sales market with one brush. It is so specific to asset class. So um, I think multifamily, it'll be a lot quicker because right now it's very clear that the, the vacancy rates, in some cases, in some fair market buildings, it's up to 20%, okay? But we know why that is. And once the jobs open back up, uh, the tenants will come back, right? And so that multifamily market is going to is going to firm up pretty quickly. I don't think it's going to take five years to do that. And if so, I think we, we've got much bigger issues on our hands. You know, office, yeah. I mean, we, we have to see what is the absorption over the next couple of years. Where are these leases getting done? Uh, what kind of concessions? I mean, that's obviously going to affect the bottom line. That could take several years to, to figure out. But I think some asset classes like industrial, industrial, the pricing's actually picked up. I mean, I'm hearing about Amazons that are trading at, you know, sub four caps. I mean, it's uh, and the essential uh, services that we talked about before, the, the medical, the drug stores, the grocery stores. I mean, th those have performed very, very well. So I think it really depends on uh, what, what the asset class is when we talk about, you know, pricing and, and how long it's going to take for a recovery. You're expecting a busy uh, Q4, but what about the election? I mean, putting aside who wins, mm -hmm. do you think that they're, I mean, what are you hearing from people on the ground? Are they saying, oh, we want to wait till the election's kind of settled? No, I mean, it, well, again, to my earlier point, I, I think if anything, uh, investors are looking to s speed things up and try to purchase this year to try to take advantage of the, the 1031. The Opportunity Zone program also, there's been discussions about changing that program uh, and making those those projects have to be affordable to qualify. And so, you know, getting some of those um, OZ deals in, we're, we're handling a city block right now up in Norwalk, Connecticut, that we're selling for development um, that, that could qualify. Um, but as far as next year, I mean, I, regardless of who's in office, uh, we have a massive wave of distress that's it, it's just unavoidable and it's really unfortunate. And we don't like to see these businesses close, but you know, hotels have obviously been hit the hardest. That's where 70 percent of the distress is right now with the special servicers. You know, retail is, you know, um, about 20, 30, you know, 20 percent of that. And then it kind of trails off from there. Uh, but, yeah, we, we have a lot of that in the pipeline. We do a lot of work with the special servicers. And you know, right now, lenders are giving time. There's forbearance. Um, but when that dries up and, you know, a lot of these tenants will not return if you can't service the debt. It's it's going to have to, um, and I know you had that that really interesting conversation that you did last week with Wendy Silverstein. She 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 thought a lot of these lenders are actually going to take back these properties and uh, actually work through them. Uh, but I also, you know, what I've seen in the past is a lot of these lenders also say, look, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to be involved in the actual asset management. Let's just sell the loan and, and move on. Yeah, like does a bank really want to be leasing an office building or does a bank really want to be running a hotel? Or Right. Well, it depends what kind of lender. I mean, the conventional banks know, but, you know, a lot of these private lenders are also operators and, you know, they feel comfortable if they have to step in. Mm. So it sounds like the distress is next year. So if you were a buyer, if I was a buyer listening to this, I'd be like, oh, I'll just wait till next year when the real... And the real pain sets in. Well, you know, again, you can never time the market exactly. Uh, I think whenever you're buying a property for the investors who are listening to this, I think it's it's always about the situation. And I think it's okay to ask the broker, what is the seller's motivation? You'd be surprised how it's very rare that someone asks me, why is the owner selling? 
right? And knowing, I mean, if on that McDougal Street situation, if that was not an estate, I don't think that $10 million discount would have happened. I think if it was a private, a long-term owner, they would have said, look, I'm not selling right now. I'm going to just, I'm going to just going to hold on. I'm going to try to fill it back up. But, you know, you got to know what the situation is. And there's great opportunities in every market. I mean, even looking back to like 2007, I had clients who bought at the top, top of the market, but they didn't over leverage. And so they were able to ride it out. And ultimately the market caught back up. So I think if you can, you know, take a long-term view and you don't over lever, and you buy the right situations. A lot of investors always say, James, tell me that's something that has a story. Tell me a story. Like, I don't want to just hear, hey, this is someone who wants to get top price. Why are they selling? What's what's the situation? And then add value. Think of a property in a different way. Reposition it. You know, all this, you know, vacant retail. What else can you do with it? You know, can you convert it to another use? I mean, maybe, I mean, I don't know. Amazon is saying that they're going to open up 1,500 micro distribution facilities across the country. I mean, we know how much, you know, how much pressure there is on that last mile distribution. Why don't you be the investor out there who's going to go find that vacant retail and plug them in as a, a tenant? You know, that, that, that's how, you know, some of these legendary investors like Jeff Sutton, like that's how they made, you know, their, their empires. They, you know, he had deals with Payless and Walgreens and he'd go find the space and he'd, he'd you know, he'd put them in place. I mean, so. And clearly, uh, vacant retail right now is there's a lot of opportunities out there for that. James, um, I know you've got to get going because you've got your webinar. So I want to say thank you so much. Um, great to have you on the podcast. Uh, great to hear your views. And yeah, we'll we'll see what happens over the next few months. I, I really appreciate your having me, and I'm a big fan of your podcast. And I think it's so important to be discussing these important topics and. Uh, in fact, I, the one that you just gave on Wendy Silverstein, I just sent that to my entire team. So uh, as a fellow podcaster, and, and my, my only ask for your audience is check out my podcast at Real Estate Investing Live from New York. It's about interviewing some of the legends in the business and asking them how they've succeeded uh, in the past and, and through this market as well. So uh, it's always wonderful to have the, the conversation. So thank you again for having me.